Well, hey. I'm up. Are we on? Oh, we're on. Good morning. It's good to see you, Grace. Uh, would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation and chapter 3 this morning? We continue, we continue in our series that we're calling Letters from Jesus. Before we do, I just want to... Uh, I just want to say it's great to celebrate baptisms with you again. This is one of the great things. We had, we had a couple people baptized first service and someone baptized uh, second service. Uh, this is what's so great about being together. We missed this for, for the last year, and it's so great to be able to uh, be a part of people uh, declaring their faith in, in front of other Christians. Now, what we know is that when Gabby walked down into the water, this water didn't wash away her sin. The water's nice and warm, and uh, it could wash away dirt, but I think she took a shower this morning already, so it didn't even do that. And this is purely symbolic. It's symbolic of what has already happened in a Christian's life. And there was another day, another time, that Gabby put her faith and trust in Jesus, and there was a celebration there too. And God knew about it, the angels knew about it, but you probably just didn't know about it. And so if Gabby didn't come today because she got sick, she would still go to heaven. If Gabby was in a car accident on the way here and wasn't able to be baptized this morning, she's still going to heaven. Baptism, Jesus describes as the first step of discipleship. Jesus says this, go, there and fa- go therefore and make disciples of all the nations and tells them how. By baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's what we just saw here, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So that's how churches make disciples. Notice Jesus never tells Christians to go make other Christians because we can't go make other Christians. That's something that only God can do. God can go make other Christians, but we make disciples. God makes Christians, that's a miracle of God. Churches make disciples. And so that's the way we do it, by baptizing and then teaching everything that's in the Bible. And so if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus, if this isn't for you, your first step is putting your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But if you already know you're going to heaven, this is your next step. This is your next step in in following Jesus and in obeying his uh, directions in life. And you might say, well, I can't do that. I'm, I'm I'm not a kid. And unfortunately, Baptism has, because of some other things in our culture, baptism has turned into a child's thing. We don't baptize kids, we baptize Christians. And so a person needs to put their faith and trust in Jesus, and then we will baptize them, them no matter what age. And maybe you'd say, maybe the reverse side of that, yeah, I know I'm not a, I know I'm not a kid, but I just don't know enough about the Bible yet to be baptized. Well, did you know that in the Bible, in the New Testament, People got baptized the same day that they were saved, the same day. And that's sometimes what leads to all the confusion about is baptism a part of salvation or not because in the New Testament, Christians would get saved, put their faith and trust in Jesus, going to heaven, Holy Spirit living inside of them, and then they'd get baptized the same day. And so the question isn't, do you know enough? The question is, is what's taking you so long? <laughs> we want to baptize you. And so uh, we, will, uh, we will baptize you on a day that works best for you. So there's that little tear-off card that you received on that bulletin when you came in. There's a letter. Circle the letter B on that. Make sure we have your name and cell phone number on there. Put it in the offering bag at the end of the worship service. And uh, we will contact you this week, and we'll set up a time for you to do exactly what you saw Gabby do uh, this morning. But let's now turn our attention for the purpose that we're here. We're here to uh, worship God by using our, our hearts and our minds to understand his Bible. And so uh, we are in the book of Revelation. Hopefully you found it by now. Revelation chapter 3. And I guess I could start off by saying everybody likes to be the center of attention when the attention is good. Don't you? Everybody likes the limelight when the attention is Good. Just think of your, of your kid when they get an A in school. They have an A on the report card. They get in the car. As soon as they get in the car, look at my report card, Mom. I got an A. I got an A. What are you going to give me for an A? What am I going to give you? I gave you life. I gave you, I gave you breakfast this morning. I gave you a bed to sleep, and I'm not giving you anything else for an A. Look at what I got. I got an A. Everybody likes the, the attention when the attention is good. Think of the home run hitter. He hits a home run. He stands back, and he watches it go. Then he does a little bat flip just to rub it in the nose of the pitcher, and he slowly trots around all the bases. He runs back home. He's high-fiving all of his teammates. He steps on home plate. He gets a gallon of Gatorade on his head. Everybody 
everybody likes to be the center of attention when the attention is good. You think of the, the wide receiver who catches that, that football uh, in the last two seconds of the game in the end zone. He already has a touchdown dance already planned because everybody likes to be the center of attention when the attention is good. But nobody likes to be the center of attention when the attention is bad. Nobody does. Just think about your kid. Your kid has an F on his report card. How long is it going to take him to show you that card? You will never see that card. You will never see it until at least maybe you ask him to see it. He's never going to show it to you because nobody likes to be the center of attention when the attention is bad. Just ask that home run player when after he hits the home run, the next morning running in the news is that he tested positive for a performance-enhancing drug. He didn't tell you about that part, right? Because everybody likes to be the center of attention when the attention is good. Nobody likes to be the center of attention when the attention is bad. Just ask King David. King David in Second uh, Samuel when... Nathan, his buddy, tells him a story about this dastardly dude. He's a really bad guy. And King David says, hey, you, you bring him right here. I'm going to kill that bad dude. He's so bad. Who is that? And Nathan says, it's you. Nobody likes to be the center of attention when the attention is bad. You only like to be the center of attention when the attention is good. Now, unfortunately, today goes bad. Today, the attention on the church is bad. Remember, we're we're calling this letters from Jesus because Jesus narrated seven letters to seven churches to John. John, di- John took the dictation. He wrote them down. And I just want to remind you the themes of these uh, letters that we've been through so far. We started off with that letter to the church in Ephesus. And the idea there, the main theme was you're doing good. Things are going well. Things are, things are, are, are successful. And yet over time, you've lost your love. It started off so great. Operationally, you're still doing really well. You just lost your first love of Jesus Christ. You need to go back to your first love. Then we got to that, that second uh, church. The second church was the, the church in Smyrna, and in Smyrna, that was the one that was heavily persecuted. Remember that one? So badly persecuted, and the message to them was, do not fear. And what, do not fear, the persecution is going to end? No. It was, do not fear, you're going to die. <laughs> but you're going to heaven, you're not going to hell. You don't have to fear what's going to happen after you die because you were born again. Then we got to that, that third one, the, the, the church in Pergamum, and that one was, hey, you need to stop doing what you're doing and you need to go back. You need to repent. You need to go back and do the things that you did at first. Remember that one? Then we got to Thyatira. Thyatira had this issue where they were allowing the outside things to influence their theology on the inside. They were allowing the, the, the ideas of the culture to come in and to change the biblical theology. And they were simply too tolerant. And it was call, causing division in the church. Well, I think this, and you shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that. It's, it's like this. So causing division in the church. And Jesus says, you know what? Stop being tolerant. You need to be intolerant to those things that are on the outside. And then the next letter was written to Sardis. Sardis was the church that was uh, built in a city that was, had a history because it was built on, uh, with a protection of, uh, of 1,500-foot cliffs all around them. And the, and the city had uh, protection built in all around them. And so uh, they fell asleep every night, including the army, the, the defense. And one night, the, the military was overtaken by someone who took advantage of their, uh, of their sleep. And the same thing was happening in the church, that the Christians were asleep spiritually. And Jesus says, you better wake up or you're going to get attacked spiritually. And that's exactly what happened. There is no church in Sardis today. And then last week, we got to Philadelphia, the home of the Philly cheesesteak, the home of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But the theme of that one was hold on, hold on. Like when you go to the carnival and the carny straps you into that rickety old ride. And before he goes and presses the, the button to go, he looks at you and he says, hold on. You know he means hold on. Hold on like that. And he says that to Philadelphia, hold on. Things are going good. You got to keep doing it, but it's going to get more difficult. It's not going to get easier. It, there are going to be more problems, not fewer problems. And so you better hold on. And so all of these letters, they're delivered. Uh, Once they're dictated to John and he writes them down, they're given to a private letter carrier like Grubhub for mail, you know? Nobody knew what Grubhub was before the pandemic. Now everybody knows Grubhub. It's like Grubhub for mail. He gave it to this private letter carrier and 
and that letter carrier delivered them to all of these churches. These are real churches, they needed the message. These messages were unique to each of those churches because these churches needed what, was, what Jesus was talking about because of the isms inside of their church. Interestingly though, all of these churches are also, those seven isms or seven types or styles of churches exist still today. They're, these types of churches exist in Riverside today, in the United States today, in the world today. Now, some scholars believe that these seven different churches, that they embody seven different parts of the life cycle of the church throughout human history. That, that they, in, in a, a way of prophecy, that Jesus is describing seven major movements that will happen in the future from the written here in the first century. That through those, there will be seven major movements throughout church history. Let me show you what I mean by this. You take this, um, this first one to Ephesus. And, and in this, this, this letter to Ephesus that, yeah, it started off good, things were going really good, and that is referring to, in a prophetic way, the apostolic beginnings of church in, in the book of Acts. And then the suggestion is, is that then Smyrna uh, represents another major time period within the church. Uh, for the next several hundred years, the Roman persecution, that fits perfectly with the church of Smyrna because they were heavily persecuted and so that prophetically is looking forward to the time when the church would be severely persecuted under Rome. And then we get to Pergamum, that, that one was repent. And in uh, year 300, Constantine, I guess the first, air quote, Christian leader here, he unifies the church and the, the state. And then that, that letter that was written to Thyatira where all of, where what kind of was happening on the outside was, was, was being affected on the inside and there was bad theology in the church, well, that represents the dark ages of Christianity, the dark ages of the, the Romanist theology that really the church sat under for a very long time until we get to the letter of the church of Sardis that, that could represent the Reformation, you know, the, the 95 Thesis on the, on the, on the door, and uh, the reforming of Christianity to more of a biblical understanding uh, of Christianity and flowing out of the Reformation as biblical churches were, uh, were started, that then the Philadelphia church represented the next several hundred years as those churches began to send missionaries all out around the world in the 1700s and the 1800s, reaching people for, uh, for Jesus, just like the church in Philadelphia did. They, were, they had outreach, they had missionaries, they, they were preaching the gospel, and that's exactly what happened during the uh, missions movement between in those several hundred years. And you would say, well, what about today? We see it ending here in, in late 1800s, moving into 1900. What about today? What, what, about, what about here we are in 2021? What letter talks about us? Well, that's today's letter. That's the letter uh, to Laodicea. And you're like, yeah, finally, finally we get to the, the one that's for us. Finally we get to the one that, that is pertinent for today. Well, hey, don't, don't get all excited. <laughs> Remember, I to already told you that today is a bad one. Today, today is today's one that, that you don't want to be in today's limelight. Re remember David. You, you don't want to have the, the limelight cast on you when it's bad. Remember the home run hitter when he gets that news story the, the very next day about his performance-enhancing drugs. Remember the, your kid bringing home the F. Today is like the kid bringing home the F. Everybody wants to be the center of attention until the attention is bad. And the theme in Laodicea, well, let me show you where it is on the map. We've been following all of these letters all or these churches all along, so we might as well see where Laodicea lands. We ended last week in Philadelphia, and now the seventh letter is to this church in Laodicea. And the theme of today, the theme of this letter is open the door. This is the church where Jesus is literally outside of the church, his nose pressed up against the window saying, let me in, open the door, let me into this. And that's not a good thing. When a church, the, the title on the outside of the church, the name of the church is Jesus' church, and they're all inside worshiping, but Jesus is out in the parking lot. That's a bad thing, and that's what's happening in this 
in this church. Now, all of, all of this and the this would represent today's church. I'm not picking on any particular church, just Christianity in general today. This would be today's church. And the, the understanding of this is more deductive than inductive, meaning that you have to see these things looking back through history. Uh, it's not inductive in the sense that when the churches were reading these letters for the very first time, would they have seen uh, these, these concepts? Would they have noticed uh, the aspects of what the future uh, movements of the church were gonna be? Um, I, I doubt it. So did God really intend these seven churches to be not only, or these seven letters not only to be written to these seven churches and not only written to just all churches for all of time because they, because all churches would embody various aspects of these uh, idiosyncrasies. Was this also a prophetic writing about the life cycle of the church? I can't say for sure. I, I can't, I can't positively affirm or deny that. But I can say the math is, is genuine. The math is right, for sure. The Bible throughout its pages, not just in Revelation, but throughout the New Testament, talks about the church regressing, not progressing. That Christianity in general falling further and further and further away from its roots, not growing deeper and deeper. And I'll just give you one example. Uh, Paul writes about it a lot of places, but I'll just give you one example in 1 Timothy just to give you an idea of the Bible's perspective on the church and its eventual future falling away. Here's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4. He says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines and demons by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience. Now it kind of goes on to describe what some of these weird non-Jesus-y religions are, are gonna be like. Uh, seared in their own conscience as with the branding are men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. And so can there still be strong Christians in an environment like this where people are falling away from the faith? Uh, absolutely, there can still be strong Christians. Can there still be good churches, good Bible-believing, uh, gospel-presenting, uh, uh, disciple-making churches, even in an environment like this? Sure, absolutely, there, there can be. And so whether these seven letters were intended to be prophetic in the way that I showed you or not, the math is real that the church will regress spiritually, that they will fall further and further in general, not any particular person or not any particular church, but in general will slide further and further and further from its roots in Jesus. And today's letter just tells us how bad it gets. So let's read Revelation chapter three, beginning at verse 14. This is the letter to Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? The amen and faithful and true witness. The beginning of creation of God says this. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And so I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. And that you buy from me garments so that you may clothe yourselves and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And that you buy eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, so let's go back to the beginning and 
start to see what Jesus is, is pulling out in this church. Verse 15, it says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one of those two. I wish that you were cold or you were hot. And so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So what's Jesus referring to here? Jesus is referring to something that everybody in Laodicea already knew about. This was the internet meme that everybody already knew the reference. You don't know the reference because you didn't, you're not living in Laodicea. But they already knew the reference. Isn't it interesting how all these letters that Jesus writes to these individual churches have all the, the nuances that are perfect for that city? He didn't use this hot and cold reference to another city. He used it for this one for a reason. All their water in Laodicea came from a, an aquifer. Ours does too. Even come from aquifers underground. And the water came from two places. It came from the, the mountains that were a little further away, and the snow would melt, and there would be the springs, and he'd have the cold mountain water run down the mountain and would enter the aquifer. And then the water also came from another source, a second source, from these hot, bubbling mineral springs uh, all around at, outside of town. And so the cold water would come and enter the aquifer, and the hot water, the bubbling up water, would also enter the aquifer, and as the aquifer filled up, then it would flow down to the city of Laodicea. And so by the time the water got to Laodicea, it was dirty, it was tepid, it was nasty, it was foul, just like riverside water. <laughs> we can identify with this. I mean, I drink tap, I drink tap water every day, all day, and every, I can't, I, I mean, you people look at me like I'm crazy or something. I'm still alive, so far, it's, I'm still good. But this water wasn't good. Nobody wanted to even put it in their mouth. It wasn't hot enough to be medicinal or to be soothing or relaxing like go sit in the hot tub. That, that was all gone. And it wasn't cool and refreshing like having a nice cold glass of water on a hot day. It was neither one of those two things. And so the people really didn't want to drink the water that came from the aquifer. It was nasty. And so now Jesus takes this, this thing that everybody knows about, the thing that everybody is already understands the reference to, and he turns it spiritual. And he's describing three different kinds of people. Spiritually. Cold people spiritually. Hot people spiritually. And lukewarm people spiritually. Well, who are the people who are cold spiritually? Well, these are people who just don't even identify with Jesus. They don't, they don't want to. They don't care about Christ. They don't identify as a Christian. They might come to church for whatever reason, but they, they never proclaim Jesus. They don't, they're, they're, not, they're not any a part of it. They're cold to the things of Christ. And all of us were at that point, one point in time, right? All of us were there at some point in time in our life. And then you have the hot. The, those, people who, those people who were cold, they heard the gospel and they put their faith and trust in Jesus and now they are born again and they're on fire. We sometimes use that term, on fire for Jesus. They're hot for Jesus. Their roots are deep in the things of Christ. They are on fire for Jesus. And Jesus would say, I would rather you be hot. I want you to be hot. But if you're not hot, I, I would rather you just be cold. Be completely not. But he says, but you guys have a problem. It's all mixed up and it's nasty and I want to spit you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm. It's describing somebody who says they're a Christian, but God, God knows they're not. They, 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 they come to church on Sunday morning and they, you know, they sing the songs and uh, they, they make people believe that you know, they're saved, but then the rest of the week, nobody at work would never even know that they were saved. There's nothing about their life anywhere else in here. They've mixed the, the cold and the hot and now they're just lukewarm. Or there's another type of lukewarm person. 
The person that always talks about how much they're a Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Everywhere they go. Oh, did you go to, did you go to church on Sunday? Oh, I went to church on Sunday. Oh, yeah, I'm going to church on Wednesday night. Oh, yeah, I'm going to church. Every, everybody in your life knows that you say you're a Christian, but they watch your life, and there's nothing about your life that would say you're a believer at all. Your mouth doesn't show it. The things that you ingest doesn't show it. The, the places that you go doesn't show it. Your, the, the, your actions, the, the way you cheat or lie, it doesn't show it at all. You You've mixed the, the hot and the cold. And now Jesus is like, that's just, that, that, that's nasty. I would rather you be cold. Just be against the whole thing. D- d- don't, d- d- don't identify with it and then not be it. Nasty. And so here are the three. Hot, cold, or lukewarm? Which one are you? Let me ask this first. Which one do you want to be? Which one of those three, cold to the things of Christ, hot to the things of Christ, or lukewarm? Which one do you want to be? Now, everyone's going to have a different answer. I hope you would say hot. But everyone's going to have a different answer. There might be someone in here whose parents just drag them to church every day and they're just lukewarm because they have to be and they wish bad that they could just be cold to the whole thing. I get it. I get it. So there might be someone in here like that. Which one do you want to be? And then you look at those and which one are you? Which one are you? I mean, we, we, don't wanna, we don't want to identify with being cold, particularly, I mean, here we are at church. <laughs> you don't want to identify with being cold. You don't want to identify maybe even with being lukewarm. But which one are you? What would the other people around you think that you are? If, if people at work were to identify, if I was just to teach them this much and then point at you and say, what about them, which one are they? What would your coworkers say about you? You cold? You hot? On fire for Jesus? Or which one? I mean, can you imagine a doctor that is lukewarm about your diagnosis? You get a diagnosis over at Kaiser and it's a severe one. It's, it's going to end in death unless they do something about it quick. Imagine a doctor who is lukewarm about your health. You show up to Kaiser on Monday morning. You already have the printout on what it is. The doctor comes in the room and he says, well, everyone's going to die someday, so eh, take some aspirin and call me next year. We'll see how it's going. Imagine a doctor that is lukewarm about health. Imagine a Delta Airlines pilot who is eh, lukewarm about safety. He gets on the intercom once you get in the plane, you know. Uh, Thank you for joining us on Delta Flight 132 to Denver. Uh, I hope you said goodbye to your family. Uh, We may or may not make it no reason to buckle your seatbelt because that won't help you when you hit the ground hard. (laughs) Maybe I'll see you at the end. Bye. Imagine a pilot who's lukewarm about safety. Imagine, Imagine Kershaw being lukewarm about pitching strikes. He's a pitcher for the Dodger. Now some people think that he is a little lukewarm on pitching strikes, but we can't have him lukewarm about pitching strikes. Now imagine a church lukewarm about Jesus. It's just as crazy. It's just as crazy. You wouldn't go to that doctor the, the next minute. You would report on a Kaiser, you want that guy fired. You would get off that airplane as soon as you heard that pilot say that. You would want Kershaw kicked off the Dodgers, cancel the contract, get him out. Because a bad taste. We we don't want that on the Dodgers. And Jesus says, a a, a person who is lukewarm, who kind of says they are, pretends they are sometimes and and really aren't, that's nasty. We got to 
get, 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 them out of, get them out of my mouth. I don't want them near me. Well, we could spend an entire sermon, obviously, on that one verse and that one visual picture that, that Jesus gives, but there's more in this letter, verse 17. In verse 17, Jesus says, Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and, and naked. Well, this is a wealthy church. They didn't need God for anything. They, they didn't need God for a single thing. They already had all the money for everything. And Jesus, though, says, you're poor. Now, that's an offense to someone who's rich. I'm not poor. Look at my Rolex. I'm not poor. Look at our church property. I'm not poor. Look at the giant facilities that, that we have. We're not poor. And Jesus says, yeah, you're poor spiritually. You have nothing spiritually. Yeah, you might have a great church facility. Yeah, you, you, might, you might have the best clothes, but, but you're poor spiritually. You, you've not, you don't have salvation. You've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then he says, you're blind. I'm like, no, we can see okay. Jesus, thank you very much. He says, yeah, I know. But, but spiritually you are blind. You don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you to, get, to give you guidance, to, to, to give you a direction in life, to, to motivate you and where you are headed. Spiritually, you are poor, and spiritually you are blind. And then you have this other one, naked. That's kind of a weird one. Now, the, the city, Laodicea, is known for their manufacturing of wool and wool garments. So this is another thing that's very specific to Laodicea. And he says, you're naked. And they say, no, 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 we're not naked. We got the best wool suits that money could buy. We are looking good. We're looking nice. We got the best ones that money, we make them right here. We are known for not being naked in Laodicea. And Jesus says, yeah, 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 you're naked spiritually. Remember that church in Sardis? We've already studied that Sardis church. And it, it was promised them that, that they would receive these white garments, these white robes, and it's referenced in Revelation where the, the Christians during the tribulation, when they're martyred for their faith, they, they get white robes uh, when they get to heaven. This is a reference to people who are saved, and these people are not saved. They do not have those white robes. And so then Jesus gives them a recommendation. Here's what you should do about this. Okay. Remember that there's, there's often a condemnation right followed before, before it comes a commendation. Now, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but out of all of the churches, this is the only church where there is no commendation. Jesus doesn't say a single good thing about it because this church is full of people who aren't even Christians. There's nothing good to say about it. So though, after you have the the condemnation, now we get to, here's what I want you to do about it. Here's what you need to do, verse 18. Verse 18, it says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. This church is full of a bunch of wealthy people that could buy anything that existed except for this. This was something that, that they could not buy it. There's no amount of money in the world to buy this, this gold that is refined by fire, obviously referring to salvation. How do you buy that? By your personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Believing that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for your sins. Believing that he rose from the grave. Trusting him to rescue your soul when you die, to wash away your sins uh, for all of eternity. How do you do that? You you change your mind about Jesus. You repent. You make a profession of, of Christ. It has to be genuine, not fake. See, God knows, the God knows if you are hot or, and God knows if you are lukewarm. You can attempt to lie to yourself. You can attempt to lie to other people around you. But God knows if you are lukewarm. And these people in this church are lukewarm. And he says, I advise you to become rich spiritually. But not only, not only that, he says, I advise you also to buy white garments so that you may clothe yourselves. These are those white garments. The only way that you get one of these white garments, these are Jesus' robes of righteousness that the Bible refers to. 
The only way that you get this is by putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. This church is filled with a bunch of people who aren't even saved. And Jesus says, I advise you, I advise you to, to buy this. And you can't pay money. It's your personal faith and trust in Jesus. And he says, I encourage you to buy ISAV so that you can see, so that the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, so that he gives you a direction in your life. He, he, you, you can become the, the light to the world when you do that. But right now, you're just lukewarm. You do not have the salvation, you do not have the white garments, and you do not have, have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and you need to get those things quick. Now, there were a few Christians, it looks like, that, that were in this church. In verse 18, Or in verse 19 it says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Now, here's why I think there were a few genuine believers in this church, because God only spanks his kids. God God spanks his kids, he doesn't spank other people's kids. And so he spanks his kids. And so... How did, they, how did they get saved in a church like this? They're not preaching the gospel. They're not teaching the Bible. How in the world did these people even get saved? Well, that's obviously a miracle of Christ, that he can reach anybody at any place and time with exactly the information that they need at that right in time so that they can be saved no matter who it is. Well, that's what happens here. Some of them, a few of them are saved, but not many. And then we get to verse 20. Verse 20 is really the theme of this letter to this church. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. I mean, it seems unbelievable that a church with the name Jesus' Church of Laodicea, Jesus is on the outside, nose pressed up against the window, fogging around, and he's saying, open, oh, you know, like the Mervyn's commercial. Am I too old? Who knows Mervyn's? Am I not the only? Okay, remember the Mervyn's commercials? I'm not that old, all right? Open, open, open. This is Jesus. On a Sunday morning, everybody is inside already worshiping him, and yet he's still outside begging the elders of the church to get saved and then allow him to be in to be worshiped. I mean, how crazy is this? Everybody likes to be the center of attention when the intention is good, and we just came from Philadelphia where the attention was great. There was not one condemnation that Jesus had against. He had no problems with Philadelphia, but now we get to a church where nobody wants this limelight. Nobody wants to be this church, but the New Testament tells us that this is the trend. This is where Christianity is going as a whole, as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a group called the the church as you know it, that more and more people will begin to fall away, that people will be further and further and further from the roots of their faith in Jesus, Jesus Christ. And so he's begging these elders, let, let me in. And yeah, I get it. I mean, this is like a, an individual knock on an individual person's life, but it's more than that. This is, this is Jesus saying to an entire group of people, you all need to get saved. You need to do this all together and now to worship me. And notice what happens when a church does that. When a church does that, when a group of people does that, he says, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Sharing a meal in the first century, sharing a meal in ancient times really meant something. Even including the meal that you invited them to, you know, breakfast, lunch, Uh, breakfast, brunch, lunch, dinner, you know, late dinner, dessert. Like we have a bunch of times that we eat. And depending on the the meal you invited somebody to, it said it it was communicating something to the people that you invited. You know, the Bible says that we are going to have a meal, a a supper with Jesus, a meal with Jesus, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And so this word dine in the Greek is an interesting word. It is referring to a particular meal, not just any meal. This is referring to a particular meal. You know, you have the first meal, the second meal, the, you know, the snack in the middle. But this is referring to the evening meal. We would call it dinner. The last meal of the day. 
And Jesus is saying, you better do this. You better repent, you lukewarm people, because it's getting late and it's going to be too late if you don't do it soon. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus now. It's not forever. I, I will come and dine with you even at the last hour, but there's a time when that meal is also over and it's going to be too late and into judgment you go. And then there's a promise to those people who do that, who, 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 who do that. Verse 21, he who overcomes, say, almost the same, refer, same uh, terminology that's been used in all the, all the other six churches too. He who overcomes, who are those people who overcome? These are the Christians, people who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me. This is a promise to those who have put their faith in Jesus who are saved. Sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father. Yeah, Jesus was the first overcomer, right? He conquered sin and death. And the only reason that we could be an overcomer is because of what Jesus Christ has already done for us. So everybody likes to be the center of attention when the attention is good, but nobody likes to be the center of attention when the attention is bad. That's the story. That's it. It's a bad one. There are many churches that are like this. Unfortunately, there were churches in the first century that were like this. I mean, that's kind of crazy. They had already gotten like this. You'd think that this would have to, have to happen over time, that it takes several thousand years to get to a place like this. No. They're just lukewarm people all the time. Okay? The people that you know that are lukewarm, those same types of people have existed for all of eternity. And so they existed here in the first century. They've existed in every era uh, since the beginning. And there are churches just like this, unfortunately. There are churches just like this today. There are people who are filled. It's a church filled with lukewarm people. The, on the outside, it says Jesus' church. And yet Jesus is, is looking in saying, I want to come into that one. You, but the elders have to let me in. The, the people need to get saved in this church and then I can come into this church. It's not that the churches are closed. The churches have hundreds or thousands of people who are attending them. The church has huge ministries that they're proud of. They send people to third world countries and they drill wells uh, for water. Great work. They, they go into Africa and they uh, help the orphans in Africa. Great work. They bring food to war-torn countries. Great work. They have huge teenage ministries and they do all sorts of wild and crazy things during the summertime. Great work. They just don't teach the Bible. There's just, there's just, there's just no Jesus there. On Sundays, they say, hey, look at how great we are. Look at, look at how, how, how good I'm a Christian. And then through the rest of the week, Nobody could even identify them as even being a Christian. They don't, they don't teach the Bible. They don't teach that God made the world in six literal 24-hour days. They don't teach husbands that they need to submit a sacrifice for their wives, that they need to give up everything of themselves for the benefit of their wife. They don't teach their, the, the wives in the church to, to submit to the spiritual leadership of their husband in the home. They don't tell the, the teenagers to be respectful and to obey their parents. They don't tell the parents to stop frustrating your teenagers. They don't tell uh, them in the church that revelation is a real thing, that this is real future, and that you better change your mind. You better adjust, amend your life now because this is real and this is coming. They don't teach any of that stuff. What do they do? I mean, they, they have sermon, kind of sermon kind of. <laughs> I don't know what you call that. Uh, sermonettes, sermon, sermonisms. Uh, they, they have a Bible verse that goes up on the screen. The verse is taken out of context, and the rest of the sermon is the pastor's own opinion. They, they don't make disciples. They, they make money. They just don't make, <laughs> make disciples. Now, there's good news in all this. You know, I, I don't like to, uh, who likes to preach about churches like that? But there is good news in all of this. The good news is, is that Grace Community Church is not this church. Now, there's one way to know that. Look what we've been doing for the last 44 minutes. We've been reading scripture. We've been applying it to our lives. We've been learning what Jesus says. This is one way that you know that we are not a church like this. I can tell you that the elders of our church, they love Jesus Christ. He, he is the head of their own personal lives and he is the head of our church. We have deacons and deaconesses that love to, to serve you, but really they're serving Jesus. 
They're not, I mean, yes, they are serving you. I mean, you're being served right here. Every time you come here, you're being served by deacons and deacons. You don't even know it. They're so good at it, you don't even know you're being served. And they do it because they love Christ. Because Jesus is their leader. Those of you who are a part of our official church membership here, you give sacrificially. Finan- I mean, I'm talking finances. allows us to do everything that we do here. You give, you give more than we need here so we can send it to other people, other places around the world, reaching people for Jesus in ways that we couldn't do, but, but we have some money that we could help them do it. And you give not because you're trying to buy off your, your salvation or pay off some sin. You do it because you love Jesus. You know that God gave everything to you. He owns it all anyway, and so my, my money, money might as well go to his ministry. Now, at the very beginning, seven weeks ago, I started this whole thing about Jesus going church shopping. Remember that? If you're here seven weeks ago, Jesus goes church shopping. And not for a church for him to attend, I guess. Although, Jesus isn't attending this one. He goes looking for a church to commend. To, to thumbs up. And he found a few churches along the way that were like that. And I know some of you are still trying to decide if Grace Community Church is the right church for you or not. I totally get that. You need to do that. You need to spend time finding a church that you can trust, that you can, uh, that you, you, you can be willing to submit to the elders of the church. You need to find that place. But once you do, you need to land there. You need to find a place and you need to make that your church home. Not just keep squeaking out the side and going to another one because... In these seven churches, you'll notice that when, let's just pick the, the church of Ephesus, you know, when that letter got delivered to the church in Ephesus, and the pastor got up and read it, read it, and it says, you've lost your first love, and everybody says, <gasps> he's right. It doesn't say that a whole bunch of people scooted out the side door and like, eh, okay, we're not going to have anything to do with that place. Let's, uh, let's go to the one down the street. They didn't get a letter. They must be okay. It's because the people at church identified with that church. They, they, they dealt with it together. They grew together. And so it's important for you to find a church that you can identify with. You're never gonna find a perfect church. You're never gonna find one. Grace Community Church is a, is a hospital for sinners who need the medicine of Jesus Christ. We're not a country club for perfect people. Because if we we're a country, country club for perfect people, you all could still come, but no one could preach to you. I couldn't be here. I couldn't show up. We're a hospital for people who need the gospel of Jesus, who need the Bible to redirect their their lives. So you need to find a church that is right for you, one where you are willing to submit to the elders, to fit into it, knowing that no church is going to be perfect because there are imperfect people in it. And give that church a thumbs up. Find that church. Just like Jesus is looking for a church to thumbs up to commend, you find a church. And you land there, you, you commend it by, by deciding to be a member of that church, being a part of that church. Now, even though, fortunately, Jesus is not talking to Grace Community Church in Riverside in this letter, he may be speaking to you personally. Can you identify with being lukewarm? Your parents drag you here every week, you just want to have nothing to do with this. Can you identify with that? Or maybe you just always kind of grew up coming to church because that's just the way that it always was and you've never really made a profession of faith. You, never ha- you haven't really ever been on fire for Jesus. You just, this is just what I do. Well, Jesus is talking to you today. He says, that's nasty. Just pick. Be cold? But I know that he would prefer that you would be hot for Jesus Christ. He says that I would wish that None would go to hell, but all would come to repentance. God wants everyone to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, even you. The Bible says that you can know that you're going to heaven. Do you know that you're going to heaven? Do you know it? The Bible says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Most people I talk to, they don't know it. They hope it because they've been pretty good, and Jesus nasty but you can know in that same in that same passage it says if you have the son you have the life the eternal life and if you do not have the son you do not have the eternal life so which one are you are you hot are you cold are you lukewarm today's a day where you can 
you can be hot for Jesus. You can put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the very first time today. I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do that. Would you be willing, all of you, to bow your heads and close your eyes? It just creates a little uh, space between you and the person next to you for just a minute to contemplate, to consider the things that we've learned today. And though you may already be going to heaven, you, you don't know for sure the person next to you, and so allow them just a little bit of time to reflect on this. Do you need to put your faith in Jesus today? Do you wanna know for sure that you are going to heaven, that, that you are rich with gold refined by fire, that you're wrapped in Jesus' robes, that you have the Holy Spirit as I salve to give you direction in your life? Do you want that? Well, you can put your faith in Jesus today for the very first time. And so all you do is you talk to God. You don't have to talk to me. You don't have to say anything out loud in the quietness of your own heart. You just talk to God. And here's what you could say if you're not sure what to say. You could say, dear God, I know that I've sinned. I know that that, that separates me from you. I know I've done things and said things and thought things that separate me from you. And I need a savior. I need someone to rescue me. And so I put my faith in this Jesus. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. And I believe that three days later he rose from the grave. I believe those three things. So I put my faith, my trust, my belief in this Jesus. I put my eternity into the hands of this Jesus. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, immediately the promises that God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, does come live inside of you and does give you light. He helps you understand the Bible more. He helps you live a life honoring to Jesus more. I know a lot of you, though, I know your testimonies. You've already told me that you're going to heaven when you die, but maybe you could identify with being lukewarm, even though you're already going to heaven. Maybe people around you wouldn't know that you're on fire for Jesus. Today's the day to get that right with him. You talk to him about it. You don't need to talk to me about it. You could say something like this, Dear God, I, I, I know I'm saved and I thank you, but I realize my life is not reflective of that that people around me would probably say that I'm lukewarm even though I don't want to be that. So dear God, I need your Holy Spirit to help me here. I, I, I want to have a reinvigorated um, passion, uh, a renewed uh, uh, fire stirred within me uh, for you. And so I need your help in this. And dear God, I thank you that you promise to answer both of those prayers. And I thank you that you've given us insight into these churches. And God, I, I pray that you, in, only in your grace, that you would protect us from ever being a church like Laodicea. I pray that you would help us to be a church that is honoring to you, that is faithful uh, to your calling, that is on fire for the purpose with which you've given us. Thank you that you've done that for us so far. We are humble enough to realize we didn't do it on our own. And we pray that you would maintain that in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.